Broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 and Jar Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. Yeah, I actually coached against him in uh, one of those bowl games. Uh, he is a monster. He's uh, one of the best combinations in size and speed. You know, he starts, everybody says it. Uh, I remember I was with Trevor watching video, and we can't let him get started. That's much easier to say, and I, I think uh, I'm sure Derek would say that. I'm not really ready. Interviews, but their offense line is really good, and uh, their scheme is really good. So uh, that's, this is a really good offensive team led by one of the best players in the NFL. Jaguars head coach Urban Meyer. This is an interesting game because to me, we always talk about identity. We talk about team identity in terms of what this offense is, which I think we're starting to get a better grasp of that now. And on the defensive side of things, you have a feeling, but we haven't seen the full capabilities yet. And when we talk about a guy in Joe Cullen, and I don't need to preach about just how intense that guy is, like this is a Joe Cullen tailor-made game, assuming that the Tennessee Titans pound the rock with Derrick Henry, which they probably will. So, yes, it's scheme, it's skill set, it's being on your P's and Q's, it's being on your reads, all that stuff, for sure. But it's also a game of intensity, and it's a game of physicality, especially in the trenches. And that, to me, is where I think we're starting to see the, the formation of both sides of the football in terms of running the football now with James Robinson and stopping the run uh, with Joe Collin. So I get it. There's a lot of other noise going on right now with this team, um, and it could be chalked up to a distraction. But in terms of a philosophy of trying to stop a team, I feel like the Jaguars maybe suit this one better than a lot of teams they've played so far. That is uh, a good take right there. Hey, you know what's unbelievable? and I don't think we talk about it enough here in town, is just how good Derrick Henry has become. <laughs> I feel yeah. like we do talk about it, but it's just worth revisiting. I mean, Urban Meyer just said it at the top of the, the segment here. One of the best players in the NFL, and that's bar none. I mean, I retweeted something today that I think since 2019 was the statistic that he has 4,000 yards rushing. Like, the next closest guy is like 2,900 yards rushing, Austin. I mean, think about that. Mm -hmm. The next close, we have a lot of talented players in the NFL, and the next closest guy is a thousand yards less than Derrick Henry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can talk about all the other things like, I can't believe he's doing this, and um, we never saw this coming, and yeah, he was good, but was he going to be this good? Uh, how long can he do it? But the bottom line is, he is doing it, and he's developed. What I always say is, you know, people talk about. Uh, you know, the conversation of from Northeast Florida, who are the best athletes, who are the best football players? Tim Tebow's name gets thrown around, of, of course. Uh, you know, many, uh, from Brian Dawkins to you name it. Bullet Bob Hayes uh, really is probably the top of the list. Uh, so sorry to list him third. No particular order, okay? Um, my point being is this guy is in the conversation. I mean, he has done everything that, like, Tebow did in college. He, yeah. he, he won a Heisman. He won a national title. And now he's done this at the NFL level. So to be honest with you, he's probably ahead of Tebow. He's not a bigger figure than Tebow. But from an athletic standpoint, he's ahead of Tebow. I don't think there's even any question of that anymore. Um, and and he really, he, he's on his way to a Hall of Fame career, Austin. I mean, no, I mean, he, he, unbelievable. De he definitely is. And it's insane of just how he's gone about his business so far. Because even when he was coming out of college, the narrative was, well, he gets the ball too much. And how long can he sustain this type of workload? Like, the, that was the biggest red flag of Derrick Henry coming out of college. 
he gets to the NFL, and I think the first year he was sharing time with, uh, was it Deion Lewis, I believe? So, like, you know, he was, yes. he was getting used here or there, but he wasn't obviously the bell call that he is now. But as he started to, you know, get more and more touches, starting to embrace that bell call role, well, then you saw the potential of Derrick Henry. And you haven't seen any signs of slowing down. We're, we're so predispositioned to the story of the NFL running back where if you give him the ball too much, eventually the tread comes off the tires, they get injured, and they're never the same again. We haven't seen that with Derrick Henry yet. And this is a type of running back who is a physical type. It's not a guy who's a speedster who, t- you know, who makes, quote-unquote, business decisions and runs out of bounds. No, like this guy lives for delivering punishment. And it's a testament to his work ethic, I think, of how he prepares his body in the offseason, which we've seen him do crazy things. And it's also a testament to just, you know, the, 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 the freak genetics that this guy has. And I'll be honest, and, I, and I've said it time and time again, it's not fair how fast that guy is. Because I played against bigger running backs like Peyton Hillis, like Brandon Jacobs. And, you know, they're, they're great running backs in their own respect. But when you combine the size, the strength, of Derrick Henry, and then you couple that with speed, which is just, it's so unassuming because a guy that big shouldn't be able to be that quick uh, yeah. or, or twitchy, and he is. I mean, it's it's the perfect combination. It's, it's, it's the ultimate deadly weapon, and Derrick Henry is that guy. Yeah, I mean, it is that, and I think that's what Urban said today, perfect combination of size and speed. It's, it's um, you just don't see it. You won't see much like it ever again. And, and the ability to handle the workload. I mean, you start going back to high school when we covered him and the carries that he's had in his life uh, at Alabama, especially the last couple years. And, and you said it earlier, and kind of, I don't want to bypass that. This guy was almost on his way out of Tennessee. They almost gave up on him. They almost tried to trade him away. I think he was on the block, if you go back a few years ago. And then they decided, you know what? We need to give him the ball, you know? I mean, it really was an unbelievable turnaround from saying, hey, we might want to trade this guy away to saying, hey, we might want to feed him the football. And they've really taken off ever since then when they made that decision. And I'm sure there's a lot of stories in their building about how all that stuff went down. But on the outside, that was the view of it. And, uh, by the way, this is a nice guy, too, good guy. I mean, he, he Yuli adores him, and they should, and he's one of their own. And, uh, you know, the home of, of Derrick Henry sign exists out there. Uh, he comes back. He gives back. Uh, you know, he is a kind of quiet and, and private guy at the same time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember, Austin, we tried to go to his draft night, and he didn't want anybody there. You know, he was, he's that kind of guy where he doesn't want all that attention right there but I mean he has become a a huge figure in the Tennessee Titans organization and that always creates a different dynamic here in town I think he'd be more celebrated if he didn't play for the Titans Uh, you know if Mac Jones goes on to have an unbelievable career I think we will celebrate Mac Jones around here and what's the difference well maybe because he plays the quarterback position but I don't really think there's that's the difference. I think it's because it's the Titans. You know? No, for I think sure. the Titans are hated around here. And, and so it's just this weird dynamic where you don't want to celebrate a guy that's been beating you and embarrassing you um, in his hometown. But you, you got to believe it. He wants to beat everybody, but coming back to Jacksonville has got to be a special thing for him. And, and again, I don't, I don't know if we've done a good enough job, we in terms of the just even local media, at celebrating what this guy has become as a football player uh, from this little town up there in, in northeast Florida, um, which, by the way, is growing now, too. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, but it, it's just a cool story um, how much people talk about 
Derrick Henry around the NFL. This is not just, hey, you talk about this guy because he's coming back and playing at home. No, this guy is, is one of the most talked about players in all of the NFL, especially that's not named a quarterback. No, for sure. Obviously, you know, you just get a bad taste in your mouth from Derrick Henry because when you're watching the NFL Top 100 and Derrick Henry pops up, you know, four of those five highlights that they show are Derrick Henry against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, you know, in, in terms of the bad that's been here, I mean, you know, if you want to talk about the highlights, if you want to talk about just the games, Derrick Henry pops up in a lot of those highlights, pops up in a lot of those games. Yeah, so we'll see how much uh, he can hurt the Jags again. We did some of the numbers this week. I think he's 8-2 and two against the Jags. I think he has 10 touchdowns. I forget the exact numbers we showed on Jags Report Live. He's over 1,000 yards in his career against the Jaguars, you know, which means he's averaging about 100. And by the way, Austin, it feels like it's more. No, you're not lying, man. It feels like it's a lot more. It feels, yeah. I think a lot of those, I think those first few games he didn't have as much. Yeah. But ever since, he's probably averaging about 150 yeah. <laughs> a game. Um, hey, I wanted to ask you about a defensive player for the Jags, and then we'll also talk to Trevor Lawrence. I don't know how, I feel like Shaq Griffin's playing good football. He, he, he shuts down DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins has a little bit of an injury, but he did a good job against him. Uh, and then... Uh, last week, I feel like I didn't hear his name called. I remember a nice play down the field. It was close to interference. I didn't hear his name that much. I think he's playing good football. But what I don't know is there a dynamic here where Shaq is not being attacked as much because of the other guys. Yeah. You know, Tyson Campbell is really being attacked. Herndon, I thought they really tried to go after him <laughs> in his first game the other day with that matchup with Boyd. So... Uh, do you have a feel at all about how Shaq Griffin's performing right now for the Jaguars in the secondary? I mean, I think overall um, he's probably the best guy right now in the secondary. Now, if you look at profootballfocus.com and you want to get into the numbers and all that stuff, if you're into that, I mean, they would tell you that he's just playing okay, average at best. Um, I think, you know, I mean, it's kind of like what came first, chicken or the leg. Like, are, are they not throwing to Shaq Griffin because they're afraid of him, or are they not throwing to Shaq Griffin because, well, there's other people to exploit? And I would probably go with the latter a little bit, um, the fact that there are easier matchups out there. So, yeah, o overall, um, I, I don't think he's, like, you know, making a case for a Pro Bowl or anything, obviously, but I think he's, he's probably the best guy in the secondary. So if that means something, it definitely means something. <laughs> well, it's good to have somebody that's the best, yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. I mean, right now they, they're, they're really hurting there. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Uh, they, they are taking some growing pains with Tyson Campbell. He, he has not shown me enough good things to offset some of the growing pains and the learning curve. Um, maybe he does that a little bit more as the season goes along. Herndon, I give him a bit of a pass. It was a tough matchup for him. Uh, plus, it was his first game back. I think this guy's good, uh, like, g okay to good, you know, not like great. But let, um, let me ask you this, though, Brent. How good is he in the slot? Well... I was always told, Austin, that they felt like he was going to be, he's good in the slot. They, they felt like that was a good position for him. But I, what I wonder is, you get a, like, he might be better if, if you say A.J. Brown in the slot uh, rather than a guy speedy like Boyd in the slot. You know, um, I mean, A.J. Brown's pretty, slow. yeah, A.J. Brown, like, but, but in terms I of the fly like route, that faster. guy. Uh, maybe. He's I mean, I, I have no idea. I mean, I just, I've seen highlight after highlight of A.J. Brown doing the go route and, and just burning people. Um, I just so, feel so like you might Boyd's, be right. I feel like Boyd's the quicker guy where Brown's more like, I'm not saying he's slow, but he's also a physical guy. No, for sure, I mean, he's Herndon, big. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, so Herndon yeah. matches up with that a little bit better, maybe, um, is my curiosity. I don't know. Um, I'll tell you again, what we need to what do. That's we, we, what we, they have in the slot. We, I think we got to start going to the combine times a little bit here and check out what we got.
What do you got? You got? Uh, I'm looking Google it up that. right now. Yeah, I can Google it quick. Uh, so AJ Brown ran a four four nine. Okay. And what's Boyd? You figure? Uh, Boyd. You look that up? Yep. I bet he's four, like five, a four eight. three. Oh, wow! Wow! What? He's a four five eight. Casey. Yeah, I didn't make it up. Wow, four, that five, surprises eight. me. Does that surprise you? That he's a four five eight guy, Austin. I mean, he's just a slot guy. You know, like, slot guys are the, the, they're more quick than fast sometimes. That's why you're in the slot. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, like, I think in terms of a burner, like in terms of over the top, I think A.J. Brown's got Boyd all day. Yeah, interesting. Um, again, when I look at A.J. Brown, I think more physical than fast. Um, but, but let me ask you this. makes him dynamic. You when, when you look at D.K. Metcalf, what do you think? Well, that's fair. Um, I think more physical than fast, yeah. but he's both. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, yeah. I, I, again, I look at Boyd's body type, and I figure he's just a tough matchup quickness-wise. Mm -hmm. uh, and like you said, I mean, people straight line speed to playing fast and how tough they are to defend because of their quickness. Listen, Hunter Renfro's tough to defend because he's got quickness. Of course. <laughs> you, Absolutely. You know? yeah. um, and, and yet I'm not sure you'd be like, oh, my gosh, I'm afraid to defend him. Yeah. So uh, so I guess it's, that's kind of my feel on it. But getting back to what we said, the Jags need some better play out of their secondary, and, and specifically Herndon and Campbell. I'd rather them be forcing the ball or at least giving opportunities to Shaq Griffin to make a play. Uh, because if you go to the first two games, he really came close to having a couple of picks. Mm -hmm. and, and then we might be thinking differently. You know, you get an interception in week one, you get an interception in week two, and then you shut down DeAndre Hopkins. How would we be talking about Shaq Griffin? Bottom line is he didn't come away with those picks. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, I'm just uh, – it's an interesting deal because they need him to play well with the other guys not so good right now. And uh, I think Tyson Campbell's going to continue to get picked on and they're going to go after him until he makes a play or two. No, uh, for sure. And, and and this is where coaching comes in with Tyson Campbell because he is in the right positions. Like it's not like it's a it's a speed thing or necessarily even even like the, a confidence issue. Like he's in the right spots. It's just getting your head around it. It's more of just technique of uh, of coaching him the right way. So I mean in a way that's good because like if a guy was just getting burnt nonstop, he's nowhere close to the wide receiver, well then yeah, you're worried about it. Because now you're wondering, does he have the speed? Does he have the quickness? Does he have the instincts to play that position? He's shown the instincts. He's shown the quickness. He's shown the speed. He just lacks the fundamentals in terms of getting your head around and tracking the ball. That can be coached. It's just about getting through to him and making sure you coach him up right. Yeah, I mean, he has got to make some plays for them. Listen, they invested a 33rd overall pick. He has got to make some plays sooner or later uh, if they're going to be good. Now, they can help with a little bit of pass rush. Again, seven sacks for Tannehill the other day against the Jets. I kind of think the Jets are better up front than the Jags. Do you? Their defensive line you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's honestly it's comparable because, I mean, Williams, but he's hurt now. I. I mean, I think it's a horse apiece, honestly. Like, the Huff guy had a huge game for uh, the Jets the other day. I don't know if you yeah. watched that. No, I did. Um, I mean, but Bryce Huff you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah he, had a, he had a good – but I'll be honest, I didn't know who Bryce Huff was until that game. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, how, 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 how good are yeah. they, you know? Well, well, the Jags need one of those kind of games, I guess, on yeah. somebody. That, yeah. that you're like, who's I mean, that? The, the, they got – John Franklin Myers had a pretty good game. I talked to him at the Super Bowl, and he's with L.A., like, guy from Stephen F. Uh, yeah, Stephen F. Austin, I believe. Yeah, I remember but, that. But, like, yeah. he's – I mean, he's, he's their starter. He's, he's their go-to guy now. All right. <laughs> you know, um, they're, they're kind of a ragtag group. But, yeah, they, they, they played well against the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, you have to give them credit for that. 
when you hear Urban Meyer say they have like five or six breakdowns that they had to get fixed against the Bengals in the second half, what does that say to you? Is that all communication-based stuff? Uh, he kind of also indicated that it might be a player or two trying to go do mo too much. Maybe I was thinking Miles Jack or somebody trying to go make a play and game-changing play and, and trying to make it happen and then gets out of position. Um, is, is When you hear a coach say that, is it usually on the communication end of things or or is it something else? Oh, no. And, you know, in tribute of the good old band Led Zeppelin, it's always the communication breakdown. It's never a physical breakdown. It's communication. So... Um, I don't think he was alluding to guys trying to play above themselves or go out of their way. I think he's talking about breakdowns in terms of guys not being on the same page, guys not being in the proper spots to make plays. Yeah, well, the Jags got to do a better job of that. I mean, listen, you, you go to that first half, and they played really good football, even defensively. To not play that, to not make a play in the second half after doing that is bothersome. And I got to believe they can't wait to get back out on the field. But now they got to go make some plays mm -hmm. because – I'm not sure how much faith we have in this defense. You know, that going into halftime, like, hey, this might be turning around. <laughs> and in Jacksonville, this is pretty good. And now you go to that second half where there are four drives, 10-plus play drives, uh, could not stop them. And, and I will say this again, I don't remember, even as bad as the Jags have been over the years, I just don't know if I remember a play where they didn't make a single play. Not a sack, mm -hmm. not a big hit, not a deflection, not a turnover, not an anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, they really just did not make a play. And, and by the way, at the same time going on, usually sometimes we'll have self-inflicted stuff. Well, Joe Burrow was sensational. He didn't make a mistake. <laughs> That's a bad recipe. If, you, if the quarterback's not making a mistake and you're not making a play. And, uh, well, we got what we got against the Bengals in the uh, second half. We're going to take a break. We're at Furyk and Friends Golf Tournament, Tim Aquana Country Club. They'll start play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, pro-ams and practice rounds. Until then, and a beautiful backdrop behind us is a... Few sprinkles have given away to clearer skies here on a Wednesday afternoon on ESPN 690. The leagues close the gap on us. You know we got to get better. We got to we got to get you know better in every aspect. That just getting a little bit better. You know because it's not just the Red Sox and the Astros now in our league. You know I mean look at our division. The Rays are a beast. The Toronto. And you know, there's some teams in the Central that are that are getting better and better. Teams in the West that are better and better. Teams that have closed the gap on us. And that is Aaron Boone, Yankees manager. The league has closed the gap. <laughs> I guess that offered some context, and you got to be careful. But uh, that was an interesting soundbite, Casey. Yeah, and that's why I played it because what. What is he talking about? <laughs> Close the gap. The Yankees haven't won anything since 2009. They haven't even been in the World Series. So what are they closing the gap on? I played it because of how just unbelievably clueless he sounds. That's why I played yeah. that sound. I mean, I think I don't. Is he trying to say like more people are spending money? The Dodgers have come along. Houston's spending money now. They're not just trying to win small ball. Like I don't really know what he's trying to say. Trying to say, but it's really the Yankees that not need to figure out a way to close the gap. Like it should have been like, hey, we've closed the gap. Now we got to get over the hump. Like we're getting to the playoffs, or we're close, but we got to get over the hump. Um, I, I just continue to believe the Yankees. I tweeted this last night. I just don't think they're constructed the right way to win. Uh, to to win big. 
they're, they're good enough to win games, obviously. They're, they're, they're very talented in a lot of respects. But I just don't think they have enough of the grinders and gamers type uh, to go out there and win. I mean, Brett Gardner's one of those guys, but he's like, what, 38 years old now? He's just, you know, you look at your Milwaukee Brewers, Austin. Mm-hmm. Can you sit that you'll be like, okay, I got this guy that can that can bang it out of the yard, right? And I got the pitching. And obviously, the Brewers have a lot on the bullpen. But the Yankees actually have a bullpen that they've flaunted for the last couple of years, too. The Yankees' problem is probably more depth at starting, position, uh, starting pitching and also uh, just getting it done at the starting position, like, uh, I'm sorry, starting pitching, like Garrett Cole. Uh, last night, he just didn't get it done. I mean, they have some of these guys, but they just don't get it done. I think Tanaka over the years was inconsistent. I think some of that, but the depth of it also isn't great. But their bullpen depth is really good. If you look at the Brewers, though, they've got starting pitching. They've got uh, good bullpen. That's their strength. But I would guess on that roster, and I don't know their roster well. I don't watch the Brewers hardly at all. But even, like, Yelich is the kind of guy that if he, when it's time to go hit a bomb, he go, he's going to try to hit a bomb. When it's time to go move a runner or try to dig into a bat um, and get a job done, he's going to be that guy, too. Do the Brewers have those kind of guys, you know, spread out in their lineup? But not not nine of them, but maybe two, three, even four of them. No, I mean that's that's literally all the the Brewers are. It's um, that they're a bunch of grinders, and even to the fact of you know Yelich kind of had an off year. Now you, you're going to test that to injuries, whatever the case may be, but. Predominantly, their entire lineup is consisted of guys who you know can get you a base hit or can get you a double. Um, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a lot of power hitters. Now, they, they can be power hitters when they have to, but you're, you're looking at a team that would rather hit a single or double than hit the long ball. Yeah, and Casey, you get what I'm saying? Like, the Reds, again, I don't think the Red Sox are built like that this year either. I, I mean, they have guys like Vasquez that kind of are like that. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll play like that in some spots, but they got too many, like, of these big guys that don't do anything either. You know, they're, they're too inconsistent. And... Like, I think that's the Yankees. They're big and swing and miss guys. You know, Rizzo helped them. Rizzo was a good move by them. The Gallo move, all you did was give me a left-handed version of what everybody else in that lineup appears to be at times. All or nothing. Mm-hmm. And when you got all or nothing, there's no consistency. And and look at nobody everybody in the postseason right now is happy the Yankees are out, not just me, Red Sox fan. And that's because of one thing. Because Stanton is hot. And when Stanton is hot, he is incredible. But he also could go three weeks without getting a base hit sometimes, it feels like. And he strikes out every at-bat. I mean, that's not factual, but that's the point. That's the feel of the Yankees. They go through these stretches where they just are super inconsistent. And Judge and Stanton were way better at that this year, but the rest of their lineup was not. They had guys that just do peaks and valleys. I mean, look at that lineup last night. They did nothing outside of Judge and Stanton. Yeah, and it, it. it hurt him not having LeMahieu because he is pretty much the only guy in that lineup that has any kind of balance like you've been talking about. So they obviously didn't have him last night, so that hurt. Uh, Gio Urshela was uh, was supposed to be a guy with some balance a little bit, but he's mostly there to play the field, but nothing from him as well. Glaber Torres, again, was a guy they thought there'd be some balance, but those guys didn't step up. Like you said, Gallo was a problem. I. It, it's almost mesmerizing how bad he Like, they were making it very clear that they were... Well, they pitched to Stanton a couple times, which was nearly a mistake. And they made it clear they wanted to pitch to Gallo, which is so interesting, but it worked out. Hey, yeah, speaking of, by the way, are you you guys like Alex Rodriguez or not? He was Everybody talks about Alex Rodriguez this time of year as a as a color commentator. Yeah. I kind of like him, and I'm not a Rodriguez fan, by the way, but I think he does a good job. And he noted that, Casey, if you were watching the game. He said, he's like, they, they, have, they are not going to even mess with Stanton and Judge. Well, they did. 
<laughs> but mm -hmm. right. they said if there's going to be a guy in a critical spot, they're going to make you beat you. It's going to be Gallo. And Gallo was very disappointing for the Yankees since he came over. And that's fascinating to me that you're like, I understand that he's freezing cold or whatever and that you're going to pitch to him, but he could just as easily hit one out of the stadium with his oh, yeah. power. So, I mean, risking, I mean, uh, the other two could do the same thing, but especially when you have a right-handed pitcher on the mound, which is what Boston did all night, uh, that, that's sketch. I mean, that's kind of scary with runners on base, but I guess it worked out. Do you guys like Rodriguez or not? I do. I mean, I don't mind him. I'm kind of indifferent towards Alex Rodriguez. Like, he's fine yeah. to me. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you're in the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry, there's a reason not to like Alex Rodriguez. I, I'm not a huge Rodriguez fan. I actually enjoy him sometimes on the broadcast that everybody crushes him, and they don't like him. I, I said this last night. I think he gets repetitive, like, halfway through the game. But I think he makes some really insightful comments, too, early on. Like, I think he's pretty good. I think he does his homework. I, I think he d has some good things about his his broadcasting um i just think he's such an unlikable figure <laughs> by so many even yankees fans i don't know if they love him kind of to the depths that that uh, they would like normal yankees heroes um but uh it, rodriguez is kind of fascinating to me you nailed it casey you said Avaldi would be the key man that guy was crazy i thought cora was out of his mind to take him out of the game uh but he had a good plan with guys that normally aren't th in their bullpen hauk uh, they could have even gone to Pavetta if they needed to, and they got good relief. I mean, it worked out. Alex Cora pushes a lot of the right buttons. Yeah, I thought when it happened, I, I thought it was a terrible move um, to take out Evaldi. And I, st I mean, it worked out. I still don't love it, but I didn't under I didn't know, and I don't know if this was out there, and I just didn't know, that Tanner Hook was going to pitch out of the bullpen. That guy is incredible. If they keep him He's in the good. bullpen against the Rays, the, they're with it. It's different now because the Red Sox have a couple of guys that you can rely on. The first guy that Corey went to was Brazier, I believe. You yeah, can I like him. You can count on him, and you can count on Hook. He strikes guys. He's not good as a starter because he, he just he can't get to the fourth. Right, but if he's pitching one to two innings, he's electric. So that that is a game changer if Alex Cora keeps him in that role. I compared him to David Price in 2008 with the Rays. The Rays did a lot of that when they went to the World Series. David Price would pitch out of the bullpen, not as a starter. So I think that is a game changer for Boston. Honestly, it changes everything for their bullpen. Yeah, listen, uh, I think this. I don't know if you watched that game last night, Austin, but I, I did. think. I was uh, for the Yankees, so I don't have to hear you <laughs> say how, how much the Red Sox <laughs> suck for another series, but here we are. <laughs> listen, I think the Red Sox got lucky last here night. Here we go. I, they did, by the way, they outplayed the Yankees all the way around, but it was only three to nothing. And they hit some scorching ball. They had guys on base, missed opportunities to blow the game open, hit some scorchers that were double play balls. And, and then, obviously, the big play is 3-1, to one, and they send Judge. And, listen, it was a bang-bang play, but I don't think you can send Judge in that spot. Not when you trail. I agree with Alex Rodriguez here. Like, I don't think you're in a situation where you can send that runner. You're not just trying to get one run. You're trying to tie the game up. And... That was a huge play in the game. The game totally is different, I think, if Judge scores on that play or he gets held. Well, maybe not if he gets held up. Uh, the, the Red Sox might have worked out of it. But that, that was a game-changing play, no doubt, as you look back on it. No, for sure. And um, I'm just – listen, I, I've come to the point now in, in the Boston narrative where, I mean, they're, they're a top-four team in the American League. I think they're pretty good. That and was one heck of a play. But, I mean, just to play the opposite side of that, I mean, things had to go perfect for him yeah, to be thrown did. out at the plate. And Kike Hernandez, by the way, does not get enough credit. Dude plays outfield, infield, 
wherever you need him. He started that, and then Xander made a great throw to the plate. But yeah, it it's a. I feel like it's a. It's got to be hard to stop him there because everything has to be so perfect. And even if the throw's perfect, we've seen catchers in that situation not hold on to the ball. So True. I think I think Phil Nevin's getting buried for something that I think a lot of if you had the opportunity, it's hard to stop him right there. Yeah, I guess I would just say at the end of the day, you can't. You, the bottom line is, your third base coach, you can't not. You can't get thrown out. And and in reality, it was bang bang. But was it really? I mean, the judge wasn't even in the picture as the ball was being caught at home plate. I mean, that's a pretty. That's not really bang bang in the major league baseball. You know, I had actually thought. I told Ty watching. I thought he had already crossed home plate because I didn't see him in the picture. Yeah, it was <laughs> odd that he wasn't anywhere to be found when the camera went there. Yeah. So, um, oh, listen. This is why I say the Red Sox still were fortunate, because Stanton could have easily hit three home runs in that game. Like those were three home run hits. Yeah. And they and they got four. I mean, the ball went went off the the monster instead. I mean, uh, you got the breaks. By the way, the home field was huge in that game, because of that, and also the play that goes to left field, and also the play where the the Red Sox score in right field. So, uh, but again, I will say this: you sh- you the Brewers fan. You, the Rays fan, should be happy Stanton's not still playing because he is the hottest hitter on the planet right now. I don't think the Brewers had to worry. I mean, he, there's no chance he stays hot until the World Series. No. If The yeah, Rays agreed, but... Yeah, Rays uh, definitely. Yeah, but I... Um, how are you feeling, Brett? Remember when we had that conversation? What team do you not want to play? And I said the Rays, and you laughed at me. How are you feeling? Uh, listen, here's... I will say, say this about... The Rays <laughs> are not a scary team to play. They're not scary. What scares you about the Rays? Like, the Yankees are a scary team to play because of Judge and, and Stanton and Garrett Cole. Uh, the, the Houston, to me, is a scary team to play because they have been there so many times and they've got so much experience now in this situation. And by the way, still a lot of talented players, even though they're not the, the same constructed team. Uh, the White Sox, I don't know if they scare me that, but they're very good, but they haven't been there. So... But I don't know if the Rays scare me. They're just good. They just know how to win. But I don't think they're a scary team. I think anybody that goes in and plays the Rays feels like, okay, we can w- we can win this. Um, they don't – then maybe that's why they're so good. They're, there's no real thing that you say – like, what, what would you say as a fan? Like, would you be like, hey, I, we got to do this or we have no chance to beat the Rays? Like, I don't know. Like, going against the Yankees, you knew they had to slow down Stanton and Judge or you have no chance maybe to win. Uh, or you got to get to Cole. Right. Like, I don't see that with the Rays. Like, I don't know, man. I, like, even the you got you, the Rays facing the Red Sox, they say, all right, we we can't let the middle of that lineup beat us, or we might be in trouble. I don't know. The Rays are so spread out in their roster, and they do so but, many things well. Like, they're good in a lot of areas. So I guess that scares you. But it's nothing that's like comes with an exclamation point with the Rays. And and again, I think the Rays are going to win. They're just a better team overall. They're built for the postseason very nicely, but. It, Almost like they sneak up on you how good they are because, heck, you can't name three guys on their roster. But to me, that's what's scary about them is top to bottom, you you have to fear everything. Like, okay, you have to get through Stanton. Okay, we got through Stanton. Now we're okay. Like, you you can't take that lineup lightly. And to me, that's more scary than a lineup that's got maybe two or three guys you have to watch out for. You have to watch out for everybody in the Tampa Bay Rays. And but I, don't you kind of, kind of think, like, the Brewers and Rays are a lot like that? Like, Yelich usually would have to be like, oh, my gosh, I, uh, watch out for him. But he hasn't even played that, you know, to that degree. Uh, are, the Brewers are a little bit like the Rays in that respect. Like, they're sneaky good. 
I mean, I, I think the comparison that I would make between the Brewers and the Rays is, yes, starting pitching can get you through. Um, if they do fall behind, though, you never count them out. They, they have the ability to come back at any point in the game, whether it's in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning. They're just built like that. And, and that's, once again, I think that's a dangerous team when you go into the late rounds and you're still worried about it because at any time they can come back. I feel like there's some teams out there where once you get to your, your, your good relievers, once you get to your closing guy, um, you're confident you're going to win the game. I think with the Brewers and Rays, you can never feel too confident with that. Casey, should we be more scared of the Rays? Yeah, and I think I think you made the point is, like, you, you can't really find a spot in that line. Like, you can't name the players, and that's fine. But last night, if the roles were reversed, there's not a guy in the Rays lineup that you're like, I don't – I think we should pitch to him. Like, Andrew Velasquez hit ninth for the Yankees last night. Nobody knows who Andrew Velasquez is, and they pitched to him because they should have. If you pitch to the nine-hitter for the Rays, that's Mike Zanino, who hit 30 home runs this year. He's only hitting 190, but he's dangerous. You never felt that way with Velasquez. So I just don't think there's an easy out in the Rays' order, and I think they don't have to ask their starting pitching to do a lot. They have two guys, three, actually all three of the first three starters are rookies, and they're going to ask them to go five innings, turn over to the bullpen, and they're going to be in good shape. So that's why I think they're scary in, like, a non-Michael Myers obvious way, more of, <laughs> more of like a pothole gets you a flat tire way. <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting comparison. Spooky uh, season. I like it. <laughs> the, uh, uh, listen, I think the Rays are very good. I think the Brewers are the reason why is their bullpen. Not too many teams have bullpens in this playoffs. Uh, they have a really good one. Hey, Casey, I'm going to keep it here for a couple of minutes. Lee Jansen just sat down uh, here at the Furyk and Friends, the golf tournament. Austin, go eat if you want. I will. Um, unless you want to ask them like 10 cup questions to, to, to Lee Jansen. I mean, I mean that'd be awesome. I'm, 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 I'm hungry, though, too. So it's. <laughs> I don't like asking questions when I'm hungry. Okay, I got you. Yeah. Um, uh, Lee Jansen, uh, two-time U.S. Open uh, champ. Uh, yeah, say hi to everybody. Yeah. You're, you're, you got to scoot I, over here, uh, don't I? Yeah, well, i gotta, I got a VR videographer as well. I just slide that over. All right. Um, there you are. Uh, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm fine. Uh, good to uh, see you. Thanks for joining us. Sure. And um, welcome to the Furican Friends event here at Timaquana Country Club. How's the golf course? The golf course is fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm trying to get this microphone in the right spot. Yeah, I saw it yesterday, um, a classic old-style course, which really suits Champions Tour very well. Um, the guys that come out when they're 50, they still have a little bit of the length left off the tee. Phil's still hitting it pretty far, but most of us, you know, are, are the, our longest days are behind us, and the old classic courses fit us pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, is there a, like, as a, I grew up caddying, actually, on the Donald Ross course, Juana Moisit in Rhode Island, um, and... So I've always had this affinity for, like, a Donald Ross course. Uh, do you have an affinity for a, a certain architect? There's so many of them now and so right. many good golf courses. But um, does your game over the years, did you say, hey, I'm going to play this guy's style golf course. I like that. I feel good about that. Well, once I played a Seth Rayner course, uh, C.B. McDonald, they did the National Golf Links together. I wanted to play all of Seth Rayner's courses, so I went on a tear looking for them everywhere around the country. <laughs> Um, all of the core Crenshaw courses are very fun to play and fantastic, so I've enjoyed playing all those. Uh, lately, I've played quite a few Alistair McKenzie courses, um, and those are fantastic, too. Um, I see a lot of McKenzie in the core Crenshaw design, um, but why not? I mean, when, when a guy is a genius and great at what he does, why wouldn't you copy him and uh, implement some of the same things? 
Lee Jansen with us here. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Furick and Friends Golf Tournament here at Timaquana Country Club. It starts on Friday. How much fun do you guys have out on the Champions Tour? I mean, I, I think the fans get to see some of the, their favorites from over the last however many decades. Uh, but you still got game, and you still get to kind of reminisce about some of the old days, but still compete here uh, in the present. How much fun is that? Right. Um, it's still very competitive, and we do have a good time. Um, we realize that we're not what we once were, but we still show signs of it, and we encourage each other, and we also make fun of each other and make fun <laughs> of ourselves, and we all enjoy that. Um, lots of banter. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, what's going on in the Younger Tour. You know, we saw what the Ryder Cup did. They were That was great, and their uh, team chemistry and how much fun they had. But for the most part, on a weekly basis, uh, the guys are all business. They've got their teams out there, and, and you don't see nearly as much interaction um, from today's tour as opposed to 25 30 years ago which is what you know we've kind of held on to out here but I, I think as those guys get older and get near closer to the champions tour uh, that'll change for them too well speaking of guys like phil mickelson jim furick how much does that do to this tour the champions tour to have those kind of players uh still playing good golf uh, you know and threatening and obviously phil winning the major i mean how, how good is that oh, for yeah. this tour yeah that was fantastic seeing phil win that major this year uh, we thought we were going to see even less of him because of that, but <laughs> we love when he does come out. He's a you know shot in the arm for us on our tour. I think it's great when he comes out. It's good for us um, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, not only just the quality of Phil's game, Steve Stricker's game, Fred Couples. Um, you know, but you know they're consummate professionals. They represent a lot of good things in the game of golf and uh, represent the Champions Tour very well. So it's great when all of them play. As you get a Lee Jansen with us here in Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690 for another minute or two, as you get a chance to uh, come here to Jacksonville, play here, uh, you hear the name Furick all the time. I mean, he's not a from-here local guy, but he's been here now for two decades, him and Tabitha. Uh, do, you, do you understand kind of what they've been able to do uh, here in town? How much of the reason you're playing this week is because of a relationship with Jim, or is just another Champions Tour well, event? Yeah, I pretty much play all the events. Um, but I guess if I played a lesser schedule, I would definitely take a hard look at playing here uh, if I had a condensed schedule. You know, right, right now I'm still physically able to play the whole year, so I'm going to keep doing that until I can't. But, yeah, Jim and I have been friends a long time. We played a Ryder Cup together, President's Cup together, and a diner's club together and played a lot of golf together and we you know spent a lot of time so yeah i, I would call him a good friend um and, and i think that the jacksonville community should call him one of their own even though he's from pennsylvania i think that it's easy to say he's this is where he is now he's grown roots here so uh i look forward to this event for the years to come they've already made a big splash even the first year um with the concert last night the uh, pro-am draw and uh, going out of the way to make sure everybody's being accommodated i see your putter with you how the greens rolling they're good um i hear they're going to read grass in january yeah, we're all are. wondering why because <laughs> everything looks good to us <laughs> yeah but believe it or not those are 25 year old greens i think yeah well the superintendent deserves a pat on the back they're yeah. fantastic no this is uh one of the best always is uh will, will you find yourself putting a little bit around off the green because it allows you to do that here or will you will, do you like Chip I like chipping. Uh, chipping off tight lies doesn't bother me. And then there's, there's a zoysia surrounds around most of the greens. You get a little further away into Bermuda, it's a little tougher chipping off Bermuda. But the zoysia, you have a perfect lie every time. And um, it depends on where you are off the green. Um, if there's only a slight slope to go up, it's a little easier to putt. But there's some steep slopes that you have to bounce it into. 
and you've got to decide, can I fly it on the green and stop it quick enough, or am I going to have to roll it up the hill with a baby bump and run? But it, it chipping and running through the zoysia is difficult. The ball just usually bounces straight up and doesn't go very far after that. So um, I think the best strategy to avoid that would be to hit it on the green to start with, you know, in the fewest <laughs> amount of shots, and avoid having those tricky chip shots. But I don't think there's any way you're going to avoid them for the whole week. So you're going to have some times when you're just in the wrong spot, and you're going to have to play a great chip shot. By the way, this might be a decade in the making, but uh, hopefully you accept our apology like 10 years later because I feel like you might have been playing TPC Sawgrass, and we might have hit close to you on the 18th hole during like a media day one time. Like oh. that comes to mind when it said Lee Jansen's coming over. I was like, I think we might have hit into him one time uh, over there at TPC Sawgrass. That might not have been me. I just want to apologize for our group. Well, it was at least 10 years ago. If it did happen, I don't remember. <laughs> well, that's it, good. Yeah, it's been at least 10 years since I played there, and I, and I must have been – I remember playing very early there one time. Like, the course was closed. It might have been the Saturday or Sunday before the tournament. And there was somebody filming something, but I don't remember them hitting into me. I remember them being in front of me. Okay. All right. Uh, well, hey, uh, good luck this weekend. Thanks for stopping by. All right. Well, thank you. All right. That's uh, Lee Jansen, two-time U.S. Open champ, of course, uh, 2015. Got a win here in the Champions Tour, and uh, we'll see how he does this weekend at Timaquana Country Club. We'll be back, uh, get back some football talk. We actually have golf picks coming up for this week. Uh, that returns. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690 next. Welcome back to Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Got a quick little segment here. Uh, then we're going to have football at 5 coming up. Talk some more Jaguar stuff as they get ready for this Tennessee Titans team coming to town. But, Casey, you know, I want to pick your brain a little bit before we go back to break because you called it yesterday. You, you said the Red Sox were the team to beat, yeah. and, and you nailed it. And, and I'm to the point now, I told you this today when I saw you this morning, I'm to the point where I'm going to take the family funds and just wire them over to you and let you handle the money how you see fit in terms of gambling because you've been on the money so far. I think that's a good call, by the way. Absolutely. Um, it, it, it's going to be the Casey Kurtz LLC, I'm telling my wife. I'm not going to say it's gambling. I'm saying it's the LLC, financial investing. I like it. So tonight, Dodgers... Cardinals. You probably have the hottest team in baseball right now in the, in the St. Louis Cardinals. And you have the team that a lot of people picked in the beginning of the year to go to the World Series. Yeah. Wild card game, which is insane. Who do you like? Uh, I think it's hard to bet against a 106-win team, but the problem is in a one-game situation, none of that matters at all. Mm -hmm. uh, you could easily do exactly what happened to Garrett Cole last night. You get jumped in the first inning for a two-run homer. You could lose the game two to nothing. So I think if you're strictly betting on a if you want a team to bet on in a wild card one game format you bet the underdog because anything could happen the 106 wins doesn't matter the dodgers are a better team um but with that being said i it could go either way yeah. I, I would bet the cardinals okay i think i have to lean la a little bit just because of what i know about them and they're like i get it they're not as hot as the cardinals are right now but they're getting healthy and they're starting to fire in all cylinders but hey if you're right again man I'll, I'll make sure the accountant gets the information to you as quickly as possible, and we'll start this process um, just in time for the playoffs. Perfect. Cool. Sounds like a plan. All right, sounds good. More on ESPN 690 when we get back.